Welcome to another exciting episode of the Path to Millionaires podcast. I am Ryan Fellman, and I am joined by Ryan Stevens. And uh, I think most people probably know who you are. Uh, you've been around the block for quite a while, longer than I realized, actually. Uh, but you have the website dialedinmen.com, and you also have, let me, let me see if I get this right, ryanstevens.me. Not me, that's correct. All right. Well, go ahead and just tell everyone real quick who you are, what you're about, and what you're doing. Yeah, so who I am changes periodically, right? I try to be better than I was the day before. Um, so hopefully I'm better than I was 10 years ago when I started this journey. But yeah, I've been writing for a long time. So it's fun to see um, all these new faces and new people that are on Twitter and the places where we work and think and um just how that group has evolved over such a long period of time. And it, it, even the way that I've involved and the people that I interact with now versus the social media gurus that I interacted with uh, 10 years ago, right? So yeah, I, um, I've been writing at ryanstevens.me for a very long time, mostly on business and marketing and social media. I started that in grad school, just kind of as a way to separate myself from my peers. That was 2008, 2009, when kind of social media was just really starting to be up and like Facebook had just become not uh, where you had to be in college to have it. So Twitter was like brand new. There was hardly anybody on Twitter. Um, so everybody was worried about the four P's and I was like, what's this social thing? This, this feels interesting and different in a way for businesses to differentiate themselves. And so it kind of started down that path and Ryan Stevens me has evolved since then. But um, this last year, my wife and I actually started a collaboration called uh, dialedinmen.com and have been the beneficiary of a lucky article that she wrote, actually, um, that I tweeted about and having to go ridiculously viral. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of launched Dialed In Men into the, the stratosphere and got us a little audience and has grown my Twitter as a result of that as well. But we started that project kind of as a way to, it was really as a way I was writing letters. We both were, we were writing letters to my son. Um, and we wanted, we were like, <laughs> there's probably a lot of people that can benefit from these, not just, you know, our, at the time, like two year old kid, but other men that are lost in the world and uh, kind of navigating the world as a man nowadays. And yeah, or so, young men that don't have a, a father figure, you know, as good as yourself. So I, I found that really relatable. Um, I don't voice this that often, but a big reason why I started writing was the same thing. It was for my kids. And, you know, I've got, I've got a two-year-old at home, so I don't know in what method he's going to end up reading any of my work if he reads it. I assume he'll read some of it. You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I got to start putting this stuff on an external hard drive in case, you know, my site goes down or whatever. And it's, it's, um, it's funny how it's easier, in my mind at least, I think it's easier to start writing for your kids than it is for like a general audience. Like, the most heartfelt stuff seems to be the most successful and most popular, <laughs> which, which um, it also, it motivates me. You know, I, I, that's been a big reason why um, I'll sit down and write when I'm not feeling it is I want him to have something to look out for. Right. I mean, you want to leave a legacy, you know, it, and God forbid something happens to you. At least, at least you're able to talk to them in a way that'll speak to them when they're older. That That's really the exact mindset that I go at it with is like if something bad happened to me I want him to be able to say this is who my dad was and this are the things that he wanted me to know yeah. um and, and I, I 
think that's cool. I think that's valuable. And it's cool that we're capable of doing that now with the internet, you know, versus here's this old dusty journal that I hope doesn't fall apart. Which, you know, there's some famous Lord Chesterfield wrote letters to his son and his godson. And I think those are borderline famous now, but um, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And the effort's a lot more minimal today than it used to be. You know, like uh, Marcus Aurelius, he, he wrote down this massive journal that became a, not a particularly large book. You know, now it's so easy for us to just go online and just kind of spew our thoughts on there. And I, people make fun of this a lot. You know, you'll see like, here's a picture of my grandpa from the forties. And it's like this guy going to fight world war two. And then they'll say like, you know, 30 years from now, they're going to say, Hey, look at this picture of my grandpa. I found and It's got like the, the Snapchat dog filter and stuff, but you know, there, there's going to be some of that. I'm sure there were goofy pictures from the forties too, but I, I think the opposite. I think, um, I think it's much better today. It's a lot easier to keep track of everything where back then it was so serious. And we look back on that generation and we only see, what they wanted us to see. Whereas for better or worse, they're going to look back on us. And I mean, your kids will one day be able to go back and watch you having conversations with people talking about why you did what you did. And that's a really powerful and amazing thing. That's unique to this time period. You know, nobody Power, was... powerful, amazing and, and terrifying. I think yeah. as well, like I'm a, you, you, I think we both alluded to the fact that, you know, we want to have this work that we're proud of that our kids would see, but I'm, I'm sure I've been writing online for 10, 12 years. I'm sure there's some really asinine things I've said too, that I'm like, man, I hope they don't find that. Maybe I should go back and scrub some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And as you pump out more and more content, that becomes like a more arduous task. I've, I've gone back and deleted a lot of my earlier tweets and stuff, but but then you kind of come into this crisis where it's like, I want to mass delete everything because there's too much. But then you're worried, what am I going to miss? Is there something in there that I wrote that was so great that I forgot? And it, I don't know. I, well, um, I, constantly... I think there's something to be said for that growth too, right? Yeah. I, think that's a, I think too often the internet makes it so easy to compare our year three with somebody else's year 20. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, a challenging thing to do and something that I tell people try not to do, right? Yeah. Um, just because I always tell people, here's an exercise, go back and look at your favorite bloggers, early, early archives, or go find a YouTuber and look at like their first videos, like how bad they are, how their (laughs) lighting is, the stuff they say, it's terrible. Um, and even people that are so polished now and have like Ramit Sethi has professional videographers and he's like dressed to the nines and all his videos are immaculate. But if you go look at his old videos, he's like sitting on his couch, black and white and blurry and no plants and a blank white wall. And it's like everybody, you know, goes through a growth period. And I think there's something to be said for that too. I mean, even Joe Rogan, if you watch like his really early podcast, like there's, there's like episode like 30 or something where he's talking to Dane Cook and it's just him on the couch and they're just bullshitting no different than you and I probably, probably worse production values than you and I honestly. <laughs> because the technology wasn't as good back then either. That was like five, seven years ago. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I go back at my earliest writing, and I've changed a little bit of stuff on my website, but I try to leave it, you know, just for that one reason. I want people to be able to see, like, where I started from. And Path to Manliness wasn't even the first thing I did. So there's earlier work that didn't get published. There's, you know, everyone starts somewhere. And I think the the takeaway to all this is that if you stick with it, you're going to get better. You know, you said something on your website that stuck with me. Um, You're trying to become 1% better every day. 
I, I love that. I've, I've seen that in a couple of different lines, but that's so simply put, it's perfect. And uh, I, I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in trying to be something that you're not yet and you don't know how to get there and it seems like you're so far away, but just 1%, just a little bit better, you know? Yeah, I think that's a great point. One of the things that I, I focus a lot on, um, aside from just, I want to be better than I was the day before, is how do I invest in things that compound? Um, yes. You know, key habits compound, um, you know, relationships compound, the, the better you get with your spouse. That stuff all has added value down the road. Um, I think when people think about compound interest and things like that, they mostly think about money. Um, which is true and very valuable. Get, you know, start investing as early as possible. Um, but your health, like healthy habits, what, you know, things that you can create early on and um, will continue to compound. I just think that's a, people miss the mark a lot. And I, I think that's one of the easy ways to really level up your life in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, compound interest is a good way to look at it because when it first starts out, it just seems like it's going to take forever for it to make anything. And, I don't know. It depends on what the interest rates is and all that, but there's like always a, a year, like usually like seven or 10 years in or whatever. It's shorter on some of these habits, but at some point it just hits this level where it's like runaway growth. And um, I think you and I have seen that with our Twitter growth. You know, those first hundred followers are really tough to get. Then that first thousand, it seems like insurmountable. And then I don't know, around, four or 5,000, it just kind of takes on a life of its own as long as you keep writing and keep working on it. You know, and it just, it grows exponentially. Yeah. I got stuck for a long time around uh, seven, seven, 8,000, somewhere right in there. And then it was like, once I was able to eclipse that 10 K mark, it just took off. Yeah. I don't know if people, <laughs> I don't know if people just see 10 K and that's like a milestone. They're like, yeah, he must know what he's talking about at this point. I think <laughs> that, yeah. Um, I go back and forth on Twitter. I love it some days and other days I don't. I took a little break from it for a while and just had some like repeating tweets going, um, which is healthy. But it's so healthy. Let's talk about yeah. that. I just took a week off. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I was preaching about like, you know, taking a dopamine fast and breaking from all this stuff and I hadn't yet done it. Um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I can't, I can't keep telling other people to do this and not do it. So yep. Uh, middle of August is my birthday and I just took that week off. I took a couple days off from work, but also just took time away from Twitter. I didn't schedule anything, nothing. Um, and I just used that That's time cool. to, I just used that time to like take more long walks, but I printed out some longer form stuff and just took some time to read that, relaxed, watched a little bit of shows, things that I don't ordinarily do. And it was just, it was wonderful. And then I, I really thought that I would have this like, not a huge influx of, I mean, like way less followers, but I actually grew a little Yeah. In the, in the week off. Like I grew a little, which I thought was kind of surprising. I thought it would actually go down a little, but yeah, um, it, it was so refreshing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think most people, even like these bigger accounts, these, especially those guys, because a lot of them are making money online and you know, whether it's a side income or their full-time gig, you know, it's hard to take a break from it. And you get all this momentum and you don't want to stop. But yeah, I did the same thing around the same time, actually. Um, I spent like a week just not worrying about it. I would check it once, maybe a day, but I didn't really check it. I just kind of scrolled through my profile real quick, looked for any messages from people I knew and 
that was about it. <laughs> then I, yeah, I went for walks, I went for runs, even played like some old PlayStation games. I've been feeling nostalgic for some reason. So I went back and, you know, played some old games I used to play when I was younger. And it's, it was funny. Um, there's that, what's that phrase? You can't go home again, you know? So like, I was thinking about these games I would play with friends back in college and I was playing them and after like half an hour to an hour, I just kind of like lost interest. I'm like, yeah, these were, these were a lot better in my memory. Maybe it would have been better if I hadn't touched them. <laughs> so it's funny you say that. I, uh, every once in a while in the evening, I'll have a drink and I'll play, um, ML, I think it's MLB 2004. Wow. So like with, with it's Manny Ramirez on the cover. It's so yeah. old. Like literally like, <laughs> Biggio's hitting three hole for me. The guy's already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's bizarre, but it's also like, and it's weird because you see these players that are rated really low that turned out to be like really good at baseball, but like <laughs> they were new. So I like, didn't know Grady Sizemore was going to be awesome. Okay, fair enough. That's uh, cool. So yeah, it's bizarre. It's just something to, I, I think, you know, too often the quote unquote Twitter guru is like, oh, never play Nintendo, never yeah. watch TV. Like, yeah. You know, sometimes it's nice to have that mindless break. I think it helps you recharge. Yeah, I, that's that's why I like these podcasts and the the emails. I love writing emails because you can be a little more nuanced. Where on Twitter, you have to be like, "Hey, you need to stop playing so much video games." But no matter how you phrase it, people are always like, "Oh, video games bad." Okay, but they're not. The problem is when it's like your default activity. It's all you do is you spend you know multiple hours. There's people out there that spend like twenty, forty hours a week. I mean, that's like a job on just one game. Now. I'm lucky that I never got into like the whole MMO scene, like those online games that are super addicting. But um, I mean, there were times where I would spend like 20 hours a week playing Call of Duty and stuff, and that's not much different. So it's it's more to that. Like if if you're that guy that gets super addictive, you just gotta know yourself. And there's there's better ways to spend time. And it's not even more about like being a better person. It's being a happier person too. Like you're not gonna be happy with yourself if all you have to look back on over the last year are these like video games you've got on the shelf that you beat well and i think you know we all have our vices yeah. you know whatever that is right and pe- being on twitter can be just as bad as playing these yes. video games if you're just trying to like how many likes can i get you know um yeah it's actually very similar you know it, it is in many ways it is a video game like um, right. you know people are aiming for and so that's why i think it's really important for people to take whether you take a day or two around your birthday or the new year or whatever, like figure out what you want to accomplish yeah. and then ensure that the things you are doing are aligned with what you're trying to achieve. Like it, it goes back to these things are all tools right. that we need to use as long as they're aligned towards something we're trying to achieve. Otherwise, um, you know, it's, it's masturbatory. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the big thing that took me a long time to figure out was it's not just about quitting these bad habits, but replacing them with a good one. So, you know, if you're going to stop gaming or stop watching Netflix so much, you're going to have this void in your life. Like, what do you do with that time? And I think both of us got into writing. I think we both got into running too, which is kind of funny. Um, But it can be the same kind of thing. You can gamify your real life. You can set, more meaningful goals where you want to write an ebook or start a website and all these things are they seem really challenging but once you kind of dip your toes in them it's not as complicated as you think and there's so many resources online you can't get stuck yeah yeah there's there's people out there that will help you through it there's people that have written guides on how to get through whatever you know 
I think it's funny when um, you know you'll see some of these guys like shit on the gurus that have their you know ebook that they're hawking or whatever. It's like yeah, sit down and write one of those yourself, and then then start making fun of guys because it takes a lot of work, and uh, they're they're not just doing it to make money; they're doing it to help people too. Sure. Well, and like anything else, there's good ones and bad ones, and yeah. right, and right. <laughs> and until you do a couple of bad ones, you probably aren't ready to do a good one. Seriously, right. there's something to be said for you know it's, it's that old quote that uh, the guy in the ring, right? Like, you don't get to critique me unless you're in the ring, getting yeah. bloody and sweaty and all that too. But you talk about replacing habits. I think um, one resource I would encourage everybody to pick up is James Clear's Atomic Habits book. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, it builds on seminal work that Charles Duhigg did with the power of habit and BJ Fogg with tiny habits. Um, it's just absolutely tremendous book. And along those lines, I have a, a good friend who was an alcoholic and he literally quit. And the thing that basically saved him is Topo Chico. He, and every time he wanted a beer, he just grabbed a Topo Chico instead. And he's like obsessed with Topo Chico. He's like always tweeting him. He's like, Whenever you're ready for me to be your ambassador, <laughs> and it's re- but it's really funny. And it, but to your point, it's as simple as like every time you wanted to reach for a drink, instead you reach for a Topo Chico. And so it's like, what what, what other things can you do? Um, yeah. and re- habits can you replace? Because you're yeah. right. Like, uh, you know, it's all about the environment too. If you keep bad things in your house, you're not gonna, uh, you know, when your willpower is high, you're not gonna eat those things. But as yeah. soon as it's depleted, like, yeah, I'm gonna grab a beer and a box of goldfish. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Or in my case, like a bag of those jalapeno kettle chips. But um, <laughs> I just try to not buy those, and then I have to eat like red pepper and hummus and awful yeah. crap like that yeah. that's apparently good for me. <laughs> it's, it's funny what you end up eating when there's nothing else around, you know. <laughs> no, I, and then it gets challenging when you have kids, though. That's, that's where I'm starting to struggle with that a little bit because they want to eat all this junk and – I'm lucky in that I got my kids eating fruit and they eat pretty healthy, but at the same time, like I can't force them to eat hundred percent healthy food all the time because their metabolism is crazy high. They might as well eat a little bit of junk food once in a while, you know? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and my wife and I are both um, relatively small people and like I yeah. ate whatever. In fact, looking back, it's like, it was, I probably drank six Coca-Colas a day. And and when I wasn't drinking Coca-Cola, I was drinking that like country time lemonade. That's like probably yeah, more sugar than definitely. And, and I, I weighed, I graduated high school, like five ten, one forty five, soaking wet. So, and my wife's a small person too. So I'm like, these kids are just going to be bones. Like I'm like no. trying to shove protein <laughs> in my son. I'm like, you got to eat to be strong boy. <laughs> He's just like, no interest. He's running around like crazy person. So yeah, I mean, kids make everything more challenging. I saw something the other day. It was like, um, they make life 10 times harder and a hundred times better. And I, come on, I'm on board with that. Yeah. That's, that's hundred percent. Right. I noticed, um, I'm seeing this a lot with, with the millennial generation, which I'm in, so I'm not dogging them, but, um, they're not having kids as much. And I'm noticing a lot of them are really jaded and, uh, I got that way too. And once I had kids, it changed my perspective on everything. You know, I was getting kind of negative and looking down on stuff. And then there's something about the optimism and the positive like outlook on these young kids and just how goofy they are. It it changes your world. It helps you remember how fun and how great this life can be. Yeah. Aside from convincing my wife to marry me, having kids is probably the best thing I've ever done bar none. And we start as typical millennials. We started later. Um, yeah. Edu- you know, got educated and then I spent time 
being a heathen for a while before I found my wife. But, um, yeah, so we, we started later. Otherwise I'd be like, I'm still advocating for more and I don't think I'm going to, I don't know that I'm going to get any more, but I, I just, yeah. I think fatherhood is just incredible. And I, I learn more about myself every day as a result of navigating fatherhood. And I just, I love it. And I, I, I was talking to, um, Bill Masur yesterday, you know, men of character conference, yeah. uh, founder. And he was, you know, he has a message that he's like, I want to encourage people to have kids if they want to have kids, because there are so many of these people that are like, so negative, like, Oh, I can't bring kids into this world or Oh, like, uh, having one more kid will ruin the climate forever. And we're all going to die in eight years. And he's like, relax, we've been having kids, you know, and the other thing that I don't buy is like, and I get that like our generation has an absurd amount of student loan debt and you know, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother thing. But uh, I'm just like, that's not a reason to not have kids. Like right. we had kids in the famine. We had kids in the great depression. We, yeah. we had kids forever. They don't need their own room. They don't need a cell phone when they're eight. They don't need all the gizmos and gadgets that I, I guess you people think they need. I don't know. Yeah. I get that. It's easy to think that, you know, your kids want all these amazing things and you want the best for your kids, but that's not really what they want. Even if they say they do, you know, and it's really evident once you have kids because you'll buy them these like nice toys, these like, you know, $50 RC cars or whatever. And then they spend more time playing with the box that came in. So it kind of puts things into perspective. All they want really is your time. They want your time way more than your money. Hunter Drew says it perfectly. And we actually preach it in our houses. Um, presence not presence yeah i like that that's I, 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 I like that it's just a simple way to and that's what i try to remind myself and, yeah. and one of the best things that i i started doing um just because i would have a tendency like when he's doing the same repetitive thing for like the 27th time like okay i'm gonna look at my phone for just a minute yeah. and i hated that especially if you yeah. caught me like it's the worst feeling like, daddy don't look at your phone so like now when yeah. I walk in and I go change out of my dress clothes, phone stays in the bedroom until um, after he goes to bed. Yeah, I like that idea. I, I've had to turn my notifications like way down just because I got that impulsive habit where I just check it. And a lot of it's from like my, my job, you know, where I'm just trained to constantly look at my phone. Um, you know, years and years of that. And I've, I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, there's certain times and I'm just not going to answer my phone. And the nice thing is it's the same time every week. So at first it was annoying to people that I work with and stuff. Now they just accept it. It's like, Oh, it's Monday afternoon. He's probably at karate. Then he's going to work out afterwards or it's Sunday. He's hanging out with his family and they just, they just accepted it, you know? And it's, it sounds crazy when you first start talking about like not checking your phone for hours, but people get used to it and they survive. Yeah. I think you got to set those boundaries. Clayton Christensen has a book called like, how will you measure your life? And he talks about, um, you know, his boss said something about, you know, I know I wouldn't ask you this, if this wasn't a big important project, but I need you to come in on Saturday. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I spend time with my family on Saturday. And he said, well, I understand Clayton and I respect that. And we'll see you on Sunday. He said, no, I spend time with God on Sunday. Yeah. Um, he said, that's, that's my day of rest. And he said he was kind of been out of shape about it. And then he got over it and he said, you know, he, he built a very, very successful career by saying no to things like that. And he said, of course, you know, you can't, you, if you say no to work, not working on the weekends, you have to be productive in the 40 hours that you work or you can't waste that time too. Um, right. But yeah. you know, he proved his value in those 40 hours and said this, that I'm, you know what, I'm not going to compromise on this. And I think we, yeah. whatever that is for you, you need things that you're not going to compromise on. And, yeah. Yeah. You know. and, and people respect that, you know, 
it's it's funny how there's like this misconception that more time equals more productivity and i don't have any sources to back this up i'll maybe i'll find i'll throw it in the links later um but i i know that there's evidence that says that having less time has been more productive overall for the economy like when we went from the six-day work week down to the five-day work week it was expected the economy would implode or whatever but people were more productive because they, they had more time to rest and relax and and then saturday became like a big day to go shopping so that's kind of changed with the internet but at the time it made sense yeah the the guys at base camp jason freed and um, david hansemeyer hides i can't say his last name dhh is what he's on twitter um but they run base camp and from they have summer hours and from like may to september one they work 32 hours a week i like that idea i think everyone does that whether they admit to it or not because <laughs> you know I, I'm my, not. My summers are like insane at work, so it's usually um, you know November to January one where I might slow down a little bit. Yeah. You know they, but they do work thirty two hours, and they say they see almost not quite, but almost the same amount of sheer volume of productivity with even yeah. despite eight hours less because people know like oh I got to shove it into those eight hours so that I don't yeah. feel guilty about having that day Friday off. Yeah, I agree with that. No, I I tend to have a busier summer too, but I just you know, walking around, talking to people, it's just everyone's out boating and fishing and going on vacation. It's just, I, I'm almost kind of happy when the kids go back in school. I'm like, all right, now I can be productive again because it gets infectious when everybody else is like kind of slacking off a little bit, you know, but. Oh, without question. And well, yeah. I think it's tricky too because everybody takes different times in the summer. And so like yeah. you're trying to get things done and the people that you need to get things from are out. Yeah. Um, and so it's tricky. There's, there's, some, there's definitely a case to be made for like some European model where like we yeah. all just take all of August or something. So yeah. that way companies can like prepare for it. And then everybody knows like everybody's gone in August. So don't, yeah. you know, don't expect anything during that time. Way more efficient. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's just tough getting, it's tough to even get away anymore with the phone. So that's where it all comes down to the boundaries. So I, we've kind of gone full circle on this, but bringing that back to like Twitter and just taking a break from it, you know, and in a day where everything is so accessible and it's so easy to always be connected, just take the time to get, a, get away, especially if you're contributing on Twitter. I think it's incredibly important to actually go out and do stuff, go out and, you know, hang out with your friends and go for long walks and engage in activity that's not online. Cause there's, there's definitely a lot of times where I'll see people just talking about stuff that they saw on Twitter, you know, and that's, it's not interesting. That's where the echo chamber comes from. Where it's just people saying the same things over and over again. You got to get away from it. Yeah. I, I also think social media has really contributed a lot to the polarization that we yeah. kind of have in society right now too, because you know, I think people might have shaved off some of the raw edges in real life, depending on who they were talking to. But two, like when you're talking to somebody in person, there's more nuance around what's being said. And so, you know, whereas on Twitter, you say something in, you know, 280 characters and now all of a sudden, like that person hates you forever because you were too conservative or too progressive for them, you know? Yeah. Um, now I hate that person in real life because he voted for Trump. <laughs> well, you know, they have these reasons and this rationale and like do you really hate them well maybe you do but like prior to social you did it and not only that you didn't know who they voted for <laughs> yeah and you get back to that you know they always say don't talk about uh sex politics and and money and uh you know there's the difference between talking about money and talking about finance um but 
when you get back to that, you know, I, I try not to talk about it, but people like they they feel you out, you know, they're like, Oh, you're probably a Trump supporter. I'm like, Oh, I bet you vote for Hillary. It's like, why do you have to even bring that up? Like, why can't you just, you know, talk and, and engage with each other? Because it's I think it's replaced religion for a lot of people. Um, I, I think with people getting away from church and it seems like even sports have kind of like lost their tribalism. It's like the new tribe. So now it's like, oh, we're on this team, we're on this team, and we need to fight over that. And I, I've lost complete interest in it. It's it's in our nature to be competitive. And I was, um, I don't think I posted this yet, but I was writing something about this where um, we're meant to be challenged. We're supposed to be competitive. And if we don't have competition, we're going to find one. It's just in human nature. And for some people, it's talking about politics but unless you're actually running for senate or the local town office or something like that i don't think there's really anything you're bringing to any value you're bringing to your life by just sitting on the sidelines and arguing or cheering one side or the other i don't i don't think it benefits you yeah i i guess i'm trying to be optimistic that there's an opportunity for like a level-headed person that swings you know certain way that right now there's just this side and this side and they're both pandering to like three percent of their crazies (laughs) at at the edge um you know and i I don't know i'm a big fan of some of dan crenshaw's stuff right now and i'm anxious to see how his career um continues but it's like again i mean it's it's this end or this end and it's not hey we, we have to ban all guns and hey you know, we need to have, everybody needs to own 19 assault rifles. There's, there's something in the middle there that we can put the most of American can potentially agree on, but we let these like 2% of angry, insane people on Twitter influence our politics politics. And I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. And people forget how big this country is. My, my girlfriend's got, I got her an iPhone and like the news being so much more accessible to her has made her way more wrapped up in it than she ever used to be. And I used to be the guy that was like, Oh my God, just see what just happened over wherever. And now I just, I don't care. You know, I'm more focused on my family and, and writing training for the next Spartan race. I, these things affect me, you know, and I, I know people get really upset when there's like some kind of a massacre or some sort of a, you know, spit on TV or somebody said something egregious. Like I just don't care anymore. And the country is so big that people forget that, you know, there's going to be a plane crash once in a while. It doesn't mean when you get on the plane that you have, like, any more likelihood of getting into a plane crash. A lot of a lot of it's just social media and the internet has made the world feel smaller because it reports everything where not that long ago, all you paid attention to was, like, your local news. And if it didn't happen within driving distance, you didn't care about it. Yeah, I totally miss the days when, like, the local little league t-ball box yeah. scores are in the sport. Like that was a thing when I was growing up. Like yeah. my mom would clip out my like t-ball, but everybody's like four <laughs> for four, three for four, four for, cause you know, everybody scored like the run limit every inning cause nobody's getting out in t-ball. You would win like 21 to 20 in three inning game with a seven run rule limit. But yeah. like, I, I definitely think like, you know, work on yourself, work on your family, work on your neighbors, the rest of that stuff, man. I don't know how, well, what you're going to do to affect that. I, yeah, I don't think it matters much. And the nice thing about, I know this, a lot of people listen to this from other countries, but about half of the listeners from America. But the great thing about America is that if you don't like certain parts of our politics, 
you can kind of pick and choose which ones you want more of. You know, if you're really anti-gun, go live in Massachusetts or California. It's not perfect for what you may want, but they do kind of lean anti-gun. If you're the opposite, you can go to like Nevada or, you know, Oklahoma where it's a lot more um, pro-gun. And, you know, there, there's all sorts of different laws depending on what the border is. And I, I know there's no like, guards stopping things from moving from Illinois to Iowa, but you can kind of pick and choose the kind of people that you want to be around. And it's amazing how diverse this country is. And I, I think most people can be reasonably happy in their own group of people somewhere. And they just need to, where they're getting hung up on is they want everyone to be like them. That's, that's not. Yeah. not yeah, well, and, and the, the media, I mean, people have talked about this way better than I ever can or will articulate, but the media is such the, the incentives matter and the way in which they're incentivized is to cause outrage because outrage equals more page clicks equals more advertising dollars. So let's say something insane that the left is like, oh yes, we love it. Trump did something <laughs> insane. And the right sharing it as well because they're like, look how crazy the left is over this tiny egregious comment or whatever, you know, like, and uh, I'm just like, you gotta just kind of wipe. That was the other great thing about being off Twitter. I didn't know what was trending. Yeah. Sometimes just seeing what's trending, like that, that fires me up. I'm like, Oh really? We're going to care about that today. Yeah. I'm such uh, a, I'm such a numbers guy too. So I'll see something. I'm like, why is this thing with 13,000, um, you know, mentioned so much higher than with like 180,000. That throws me off too. I'm like, they're trying to influence. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I, I know. I then, then I'm like, let's open up my list of like, these are the, these are the 15 people I want to read today or, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I would do a lot of lists that are like, you know, this one's my health and wellness list. This one's my, um, you know, dress like a badass list. It's mostly <laughs> just well-built style and tanner, you know, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. like, let's just open up these lists and get away from what the crazies are talking about. Yeah. I've been, I've been slowly changing my, who I'm following and stuff. And like, it sounds weird and you think that you can rise above it but who you listen to who you talk to it really does affect you you know i think back to when i was like in high school like listening to you know like limp biscuit and metallica and all this like angry music and i'm like oh no wonder i was such an angry kid i was always like riling myself mm. up with this angry stuff and people do the same thing with the outrage politics and you know now i listen to like much more like easygoing music i'm a huge 311 fan i like kind of that like beachy not like reggae but kind of more laid back music and it just it calms me down same thing with who i follow on twitter you know i started following all these guys that are really positive and um successful and motivated by working out all the time and lo and behold that's how i'm living my life now it's it's kind of funny yeah i i started down that path too and then sometimes you know you gotta block these guys not really yeah. i'm kidding but like, <laughs> I, I, sometimes there's like a like nine jacked guys in a row and i'm like okay now you're just emasculating me like matt stevens i don't want people to think i'm related to you yeah. you could eat me and there wouldn't even be a, my body you can't even see my body inside you <laughs> <laughs> i mean we all got our strengths right you know <laughs> My, my thing is if I can outrun or outfight most people, I'm kind of happy, <laughs> but like it's, yeah, there are those guys that are just like super athletes. And it's like really humbling, but you also uh, like how small of a percentage they make up. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm really am joking. I think you can use those, you can use those people to be envious of them or to motivate you. Right. And yeah. that's true of any time you're 
comparing yourself. And most people, I think, compare themselves and look at people's Instagram like, oh, I wish I had that. Well, look, they're just sharing their best moments. Like, use that as yeah. a way to motivate you to, like, also have cool moments like that. Um, there's, there's one or two people that come into to my mind that I saw their profile picture. I was like, holy shit, this guy is, like, he should be on fitness magazine or whatever and then i saw them like on a video or live and i was like oh that was like their greatest hit like i heard their best song and now i'm seeing like the rest of the album okay yeah so that's a great point so this is the thing that i i just take for granted like you don't think about but like especially these guys that like have made it their career so a, a friend of mine is into some of this stuff and so he was working up towards his photo shoot that he was right for the, all these photos he's going to use. Right. And so it's like this three month cutting regimen. And then the last two days, like he basically drinks like half a glass of water and eats a rice cake yep. so that you can see like every vein in his body. And like, he's like perfectly striated and ripped and you're like, and that, and then they do like, you know, day long photo shoot. And then those photos are used throughout the year. You're like, Oh, you don't look like that every day. So yeah, I was just talking about this with these people I work out with. Um, there's, there's like a famous Wolverine shoot. I think it's from like either Logan or the movie before where he's standing there in like his uh, tank top and he's just shredding. The veins are popping out. And like I read somewhere online the same thing where they're talking about like the guy was like not drinking water for days, like 100% dehydrated. And they had like a, a specialist on hand making sure he didn't like die from dehydration. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's wild. And, and then there's us working out, and I'm like, oh, I got a little bit of a pooch today. But, you know, I did, <laughs> I did 250 crunches in a, in a row, and I've never done that before. So I may not look like Wolverine, but if I got the results, I'm happy. I, I think people get fixated on the superficial too much, you know. It's real easy to want that Photoshop um, or that picture-perfect look, but is it even worth it? Like, <laughs> you know? It's not the best looking USC fighter that's going to win the championship, right? It's going to be the guy that trains the hardest and actually has uh, the the function, the functionality to 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 be what he's meant to be. You know, there's, yeah, there's well, just looking good. Yeah, well, and if your career is to look good and get people to eight percent body fat, I get right. it. But for, for most of it, it's like, how do I feel? Do I have more energy? Can I pick up my kids? Can I? can I chase them around? The answer to that one's no. Like no matter how many miles I run, I still like my kid exhausts me, but, <laughs> yeah, <same. laughs> but yeah, you know, that's the kind of things I think about. It's, they have a different kind of energy too. You know, they're, <laughs> they're real quick and, you know, sprinting. I got a little pit bull it's the same way where I used to take him for runs. I just kind of got tired of running with him. I just walk with him now, but he would sprint so hard for that first half mile. And I would just be struggling to keep up and like, he'd be pulling the leash. I'd be trying to pull him back and then he'd give out and then I'd be dragging him. I'm like, come on, come on. We're only running like a nine minute pace. Let's go. This isn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. No, I took my, my, one of my old roommates had a lab and it was the same thing. Like first <laughs> half miles, like just dragging me. And then like yeah. the last, you know, the end of that third or fourth mile, you're just like, come on. That's how kids are. I take them on like hikes all the time and they're all energy. They're all excited. I'm like, come on, slow down a little bit. Like I want to get through this and half mile in they're whining and they're hungry and my knee hurts. <laughs> you guys have no endurance yet. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. But no, it's, it's fun getting them out and doing that stuff. I'm, I'm working really hard and I'm probably overthinking it, but I'm like, obsessed with trying to con- condition my kids into thinking all this stuff is normal i want them to be used to going outside and, and going running and and uh, playing sports and eating healthy and all that but 
I don't take it to the extreme. I mean, we were playing Mario Kart the other day, so we still. Yeah, you know, I think it's a tricky thing. You definitely don't want to get to a place where you're trying to like live vicariously through your kids. But I also think to your point, like they watch everything you do and that becomes apparent very quickly. And it's really cute when you're like doing push-ups, and they do, you know, my kid's three, so it's not a push-up. Right. more like a really bad downward dog pose but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know you're, you're, well it's just cool it's like this yeah. person sees that mom and dad do this yeah um and and so they're like hey that's that's a normal thing we should do that and yeah so, i got my kids doing burpees at two and three years old so that's awesome it's yeah we, really, we do i take them outside we do a lot of yard work and um it slows me down a lot and i just yeah. try not to it takes me like three days to do the yard sometimes because like <laughs> three-year-old gets in the way more than they you know add value yeah. but at the same time like i want him to to think that he's helping because i want him to like hey this is something that we do and he's yeah. so curious like, dad we're gonna go do the hard work the hard work I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah buddy we're gonna we're gonna go do the hard work <laughs> that's awesome yeah you never know like what moment's gonna stick with them too you know like you're gonna spend all this time with them and a lot of it's gonna be forgotten but there's gonna be that one moment they're gonna think back on forever and like cherish it um god i don't I think I was like five or six, but I remember me and my dad were at um, uh, Cub Foods parking lot, a grocery store, and they had uh, a bunch of pumpkins and like these uh, little cardboard boxes. And uh, in, in hindsight, I don't know why they were in cardboard. It didn't seem like a smart idea, but I wanted this really big pumpkin in the back. So I asked my dad if he would go get it. And he's like leaning over, trying to reach up and grab this giant pumpkin that's in the back. It was the best looking pumpkin. I mean, it's the perfect one, right? Which, <laughs> that's a big deal when you're six. And he, he gets it and he picks it up. And that pumpkin was like the most integral piece of the foundation of this entire box of pumpkins. It held them all perfectly in place. And as soon as it was removed, they all started shuffling around and moving and rolling and they ripped open the box and dozens of pumpkins are just falling and rolling into the streets and the traffic people are stopped <laughs> <punking> at us and <laughs> my dad pays for everything like he's he's never stolen but he just kind of looked around and he goes let's let's go <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll pay extra next time <laughs> that's hilarious uh you know and, you know like some years later that that moment is like stuck in my mind like i'm watching it on youtube and uh, you just never know when that, that moment is going to happen with you and your kids. Just something goofy like that. Oh, for that's sure. Cool. Yeah. Oh. That's what's so cool about this website you've created. You know, you've, you've got this great thing that you are capturing all these awesome memories for your kids to look at. And, um, you know, as a dad, you want to instill these, these um, important life lessons on them. And most of the time when you, when you do it in real life, they're not ready to hear it. They don't want to listen. And that's the great thing about having a blog or something like this podcast is when they're ready, they can go to it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I definitely think you go through a stage where like, you know, your parents know everything and then you reach a point 12, 13, 14, where you don't think your parents know anything. Yeah. Uh, and then you 23, 24 and Oh, y'all knew way more than I thought you did. Yeah. Um, but then there's also the, when you become a parent and you like, oh, shit, my parents had no idea what they were doing either. They were just doing the best they can. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for that. You know, they definitely know more than you did. Um, yeah. They're just doing the best they can. I, I think people too often, like, you know, give their parents a hard time for things that, like, they were just doing the best they could. Unless they, like, really caused you, like, childhood trauma because they were, like, 
alcoholics or beating on you or like something like that, like forgive them. Um, yeah. You know, they were doing the best they can uh, with what they knew and the resources they had. And um, yeah, you know. I think, I think almost every parent does something really good and then other things not so good. Um, I was incredibly fortunate to be very financially educated at a very young age. Like I understood compound interest and economics and things that, you know, 35 year old men don't understand. Um, but when I left college and started living alone, I didn't really know how to operate a washing machine that well. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how to cook very healthy meals. And uh, there's just certain things that my parents were really good at teaching other things that kind of, you know, let slide. <laughs> but you figure this stuff out. And yeah, just, look, I, I have, I'm so lucky I had the best parents and I'll tell that to anybody, but um, my mom spoiled me rotten and I never had to do like my own laundry. And I, I'm laughing because sounds familiar. <laughs> when, when I first went to college, like I, I came home one weekend from like first semester, freshman year, first semester. I was like, mom, my clothes smell amazing. They're not coming very clean. And she's like, what, what are you using? And I like, took a picture and showed her and she was like, you're just washing your clothes with fabric softener. <laughs> I spent the whole first semester just washing clothes with liquid fabric softener, oh. not detergent. So like <laughs> clothes smelt fantastic, but couldn't get them clean. So, she was awesome. so yeah, she, she spoiled me and uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that. I, I always joke though, like, my three-year-old's done more chores than I did by the time I was 18, probably. So Yeah, I I wonder, I feel like that's a common trend with our generation. I think we're making our kids do a little bit more stuff than we had to do. For some reason, the boomers didn't force chores on their kids like I, somewhat, but there was a lot of stuff that I never had to do until I became an adult. Like, I want my kids to start learning at a very early age how to cook. Like, I'm not going to make them cook all the time, but like, I don't know, once a month, something like, hey, why don't you try to make something, you know? whatever they want to make, we'll, we'll work on making it more elaborate and healthy later, but you gotta learn at least a couple of decent meals. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value in that. We let our kid hang out in the kitchen. He helps cook, he, you know, like, yeah. here, you know, put the salt on the chicken or whatever. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know where that came. I think my parents, uh, their thing was just like, if I acted like I didn't want to do it, it wasn't worth their agitation to fight me about it. And then also yeah. I think, they really wanted us to do good in school. Yeah. And so they didn't want us to be distracted from schoolwork with a bunch of excess chores. I mean, I, my dad made me mow the lawn and do a few things. And one day I said something about not doing it. And he was like, Oh, that's fine. You just won't get gas in your truck or, you know, something like that. <laughs> um, you can start paying rent. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. So I had to do a handful, probably not as many as I should have. But I, th I think part of that was just like, they really wanted us to like do our schoolwork, focus on school, hone in on that. And yeah, so, I had the same uh, and my mom was most, she wasn't a complete stay at home mom, but she would work like eight to noon and then right. be home to pick us up from school and do things in the afternoon. And so I think she, she could just, like, I can get this done faster. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Sometimes too. Yeah. No, I, I had the same kind of deal and it actually, it's a good motivator though, because you know, my dad would make comments like, well, you don't need to work on, you know, doing this stuff because your job right now is to focus on school. So I'll help pay for, you know, certain things as long as you keep your grades up. And, you know, as soon as my grades start slipping, you know, that goes out the window. So it was a good motivator to make me work harder and it got me into a good college. Now, when I went to college, I can't say my grades were quite as good because I didn't really <laughs> have to study, but that's the topic for another day. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's, 
it's tough teaching um teaching all these kids everything there's just so much to teach them and i mean the biggest struggle i think now is just trying to get their attention they're constantly being um there's everything's fighting for their attention now you know these these phones the way they work social media there's there's just a lot of really deep um psychologists like working hard to convince people to keep working keep playing with the phone keep playing on the internet why aren't you spending more time on facebook they're they're trying to get you hooked oh yeah i mean there's some of the best clinical you know social clinical psychologists engineers in the world are are being paid you know five hundred thousand dollars a year to keep people hooked on this stuff yeah i think it's very telling that a lot of the people that created these sites and these tools don't let their kids use those things. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty telling yeah. to me. So Steve Jobs was quoted often for saying he never let his kids play with the iPad, which says a lot. Yeah, and our kids, uh, you know, we don't they don't get a lot of screen time, and who knows how that will navigate that. But like a, a woman at work the other day was like, "Oh no, you just wait, you just wait. Your kids when they're like seven, they'll have to have their own cell phone." I was like, "No, they don't have to. Yeah, so everybody else at school does." And I'm like. Maybe mine won't. I mean, I don't know. I'm not there yet. So I'm not trying to like shame anybody or, but uh, you know, I just don't know that that's going to happen. I've got a, I, it doesn't matter where my career is at either. My kids not getting a new car. Here's your used car, buddy. Yeah, you know, I think, I think that's smart. You know, yeah, you got to work your way up. Plus you don't want to start with the best and then get something worse later on get, make them, make them work their way up to a nice car. But I, I think with the phone thing, I, my kid's still young. So I don't know. I got an 11 year old boy and he, um, He's got a phone and I didn't want him to have it for a long time, but what you said happens. Every other kid gets it, so they're kind of expected to get one and it becomes like, uh, they get kind of excommunicated if they don't have a way to talk mm-hmm. to their friends. But I was worried he was going to be constantly talking to his friends, constantly on like social media, which I don't think he has a single account yet. And uh, he doesn't have a single account yet. Then I started like watching him use it and I'm like, oh, it's, it's a Game Boy. You know, like all he does uh, is play these dumb games on it. I'm like, I did the same thing growing up. This is okay, you know. Right. But yeah, it's, you do set limits. I'm like, I you've been on your phone all day. Go take the dog outside and go breathe some fresh air or something. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think there's there's that, and you don't have to take the thing to school with you necessarily. Like, right. leave that at home. You can play the games when you get home for however long if you want to. Yeah. You know, Not I, at the dinner I, table. I, no. I, I I definitely think people are using some of these social tools and adults too as a way to not have in-person conversations. Like I see like these kids that'll play like Minecraft and they'll all be like, they'll be on a zoom with like nine people all playing Minecraft simultaneously. Well, I don't, is that any different than, you know, being in a chat room while you're playing fantasy football? I don't know, but like, it's also (laughs) not an excuse to not go do something with your friends. Yeah. Um, And I, I know that there's a lot of these high school kids that are isolated because they're, having these conversations online and not in person ever. Yeah. And you know, you got to balance that. They think it's a one-to-one replacement for social interaction, but it's, it's different. There's, there's nuance and little things that you're missing when you're not interacting in person. That's, that's one reason I've gotten into martial arts. I've really enjoyed being able to interact with people where no one's got their phone on them. Like a couple of people might have it in their bag or something, but no one's checking their phone constantly. It's, it's like an hour or two where you can just interact with people and engage and you don't have to worry about a conversation like lolling for a couple of seconds and then somebody just casually pulling their phone out. Right. That, that conversation shot. You know, another reason why I like doing these podcasts actually. 
Yeah, there, it's such a great time. <laughs> the, the amount of amazing content coming out of podcasts is just yeah. mind blowing. And I have my wife and I purposely made a very deliberate decision to um, spend more than we wanted to, to not have a long commute. So now I'm like, and I never want a long commute. Traffic is like insufferable. It makes me so angry. Um, and, and statistically, yeah. I mean, like this is true, like borderline across the board, like people hate commuting. Um, yeah. So we, we made a very conscientious decision to live in a smaller, older home close to town. So I don't, but like I'm listening to a podcast, I'm like 15 minutes and I'm like, I want to stop. Like, <laughs> like dr- drive around the parking garage some more to keep listening to this instead of going yeah. into the office. Cause the, the amount of amazing content. And I think for me, one of the biggest struggles I have is just how much good stuff there is out there and knowing that like, you can't just sit here and consume this stuff all day long. Like it's pick a couple, um, you know, try to implement it into your life. But yeah. um, at some point you got to discern what it, back to what you're trying to accomplish. And um, is this going to help me get there? Or is this helping me recharge my batteries while I go for a walk? But like, let it go. You don't have to yeah. listen to every podcast that's been heralded or read every book that's, you know, yes. hot right now. It's a brave new world. There's too much information. You, you, you can't even begin to scratch a surface. I think for like every minute that goes by in real time, something like 800,000 minutes of YouTube videos get uploaded. And that's just YouTube, you know, and, and wild. At worth your time. But still, the, the point remains that you can't, you're never going to complete it. You know, you're never going to watch everything there is to watch. That's the, that's the Netflix issue. I think a lot of people have this like desire to watch every show on Netflix. And I just don't care. No, I have a thing with shows that I typically won't even start a show until it's three or four seasons in. And then like yeah. people I trust are like, no, no, no. Like this is a good show. I'm like, okay. Like I started Breaking Bad really late. The Wire really, a lot of shows that I actually really liking Friday Night Lights really late. And so I, I rarely will start a new show. Oh, it's just become such a time sink too. That's why I like movies. I love that. I can just like watch a movie in two hours. I'm done. Unless it's Marvel, then it's, you know, 23. <laughs> yeah. But I got kids, so I have to watch them and I kind of have a soft spot for them. I don't mind. So I, for one, am looking forward to Fat Thor having the 80s montage where he loses weight in the next Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm calling it right now. And nice. The, and if they, don't nice. Do that, if they don't do that, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally not caught up on the Marvel stuff. My father-in-law is, but we just have not watched a lot of movies aside from a handful of kids' movies since my this is my son's couple, been born. There's a couple that are, you know, forgettable, but overall they're all pretty good. It's kind of amazing what they've done. I, I, I know it's easy to be like, oh, superheroes are stupid because everybody likes them. Like, I don't know. They're, I think they're great. I think there's a lot you can get out of them too. And personally, when I watch a movie with um, Thor or Captain America, it motivates me to go work out. So I, I don't think it's all bad. Plus, if you have kids, you're going to watch them anyway. Yeah. I'm, I am ready for my son to be able to like sit through a whole movie so we can go watch the movies. Yeah, I don't, I, my kid can't do that either. I got one that will and one that won't. So we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time with this sometimes. I don't have the attention span. It's just too hard. We, we watched little Masha and the Bear clips before bed. And that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that shows something about it. It's just creepy, but it's cute and funny at the same time. I don't, I don't know what it is about her face. Uh, my kid's into that right now. I'm like, whatever. It's before that he watched. Uh, I was so proud because I got him into the Sandlot. But yeah. then he was having he was having nightmares about the beast. The beast is terrifying. I was so, so my, disappointed. I watched my, that for the first time as an adult. I'm like, this dog is so much smaller than I remember. I thought it was this giant monster. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. But it, so he had nightmares. So my wife's like, he can't watch that anymore. So then 
she found Masha and the bear and he's like, see how happy he is? I'm like, fine, fine. Yeah, teaching kids to play with bears. Good life lesson there. <laughs> <laughs> now, my kids are obsessed with um, Paw Patrol. I think every kid is now, which I don't know who made that show up, but they're rolling in the dough. I don't think we have it on whatever cable package or Netflix we have. Nickelodeon, so. I think. It's, okay. Honestly, it's like very watchable. Like if you got if you got to sit down and watch an hour of TV with your kids and they're going to make you watch something stupid, that's that's one of the better ones. It's kind of funny. We, like, we, we definitely don't have it, but he, he brings some of the tag, taglines home from school and sometimes he'll cue some, we'll cue up some stuff on YouTube with them. But, there you um, go. But then it was tricky for me because he would want his bedtime story to be Paw Patrol. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I would just be like, oh, it's one of them's birthday. And then all the rest of them would go to Target and pick out a birthday present for him. Like, that was, that was, I was like, they didn't rescue anything. That was my story. <laughs> it worked. So <laughs> no, that works. I got books too. So yeah. That's, that's another thing that, just reading to your kids is fun. Like, do you read like the kids' books? Do you read like older stuff? It's like I, I have a hard time reading the kids' stuff all the time. So like, oh, I started reading this book one day about like um, it, it was like a, a fit, nonfiction book about Roman history or something. That wasn't like inappropriate. It's just more boring than you might think. But they they listen to it. It's funny. Yeah, no, I, I mostly read the kids' stuff. There's, it's short enough that I can usually like I'm okay. There's like one Dr. Yeah. Seuss book that's like way too long though yeah every once in a while he'll grab it and i'm like no <laughs> yeah let's do that purpose they want to stay up later oh yeah i call him sir stalls a lot because yeah. like <laughs> it's like we read a story we read a book and then it's one story and then it's another story and then yeah. like, one more story i'm like no more stories you're going to bed <laughs> so, um yeah it, I, I again fatherhood's like my favorite thing i love it um but one of the things we were talking about i think right before you started recording is Um, you know, just kind of like wasting time. And I think, you know, in retrospect, like I just knowing everything I know now, like if I can encourage the people listening to this that are, you know, 18, 22, 24, like maximize the sheer volume of time you have, because I did a lot of things. I wrote a lot. I've made myself better in a lot of ways, but like I had so much more that I could have done that I just flittered away because I thought that would go on forever. And then like, I don't ever want to hear somebody that like doesn't have kids tell me how busy they are. Again. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you don't even know. You have no idea. <laughs> I think back to when, when I was single, I'm like, what the hell was I doing with all that time? I had all this time. I could have done anything. I could have gone anywhere. And I spent so much time stuck in my apartment, watching a movie or playing video games or a lot of time going out to the bars. I, I think a lot of young people, I definitely had this, have this anxiety that they, they have to go out and they have to meet the right girl and they have to start a family as soon as possible. And I wasted so much time and energy worrying about that. And I, I wish I would have just relaxed. That's my advice. Just relax. It'll happen. Go out, you know, be engaged with your community, go out and have hobbies, just live. It'll happen. You don't have to freak yeah. out about I went out a lot. It's expensive to do that too. Like yeah. you think about how much you can save not going out drinking and some towns are cheaper than others, but you know, when you're starting to pay like five bucks for a beer, it's like, goodness gracious. <laughs> um, but I always tell people too, like people come to me sometimes and they'll say, Hey, how do you, you and your wife seem great. How, you know, how do you find the woman of your dreams? I'm like, just become the best version of yourself. Like yeah. 
you can't go look for somebody. Like you need to go places and make yourself available. You can't sit in your apartment all day either. It's not gonna that's not gonna work. Yeah. But like I, just I pick up the best version of yourself and then get out in the world. I never do the whole like bar. I did like attempt to meet girls at a bar, but I'd always like start talking to her. I'm like, this girl's dumb. Like I, <laughs> I don't want to hang out with her and I'd, I'd lose interest in her. Um, but no, out of all the relationships I had, I just met them organically and all these strange things. I, I met one girl at like the county fair, you know, I was like working a booth and she was working the booth next to it. And we just started talking weird stuff like that you know, through friends. It's way, way better. Um, the one caveat I will say to going out, it's kind of, it's fun to do in moderation when you're young, especially if you do it right. And I used to go to this bar and it was directly downstairs from my apartment. So it was like a hundred yards walking to get to it. And it had this really nice um, Hilton hotel built on top of it. So I would go down there once in a while and just have a couple of beers and a burger when I was bored. And like nine times out of 10, the person I would sit next to would be completely fascinating and interesting because they were on some kind of business trip so i would start shooting the shit with them and i met a lot of cool people that way so there, oh, there's... hotel hotel bars are fantastic for They're like airport stuff bars. like that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah oh without, without question but and a lot of what we did was like hey we know so-and-so girl who's bringing her 12 friends out and <laughs> yeah. 10 of us 10 of us are rolling deep to this bar. I, my thing is like i look i like day drinking I don't need yeah. to be out till two in the morning, like in the, the club where it's bumping and I'm about to like have a seizure. Um, I, I like to like, you know, let's go day drink and then let's go have dinner at a bar and sit around for, and as soon as it starts getting wild, let's get out of here. Yeah. That's my thing too. I, when I was younger, it was fun at, at night, but yeah. We, and we had, we did a lot of po- apartment pool parties. Apartment parties are where it's at. <laughs> you can have a lot of people. It's great. Yeah. We did play, a lot of pool parties. Play games. Yeah. Man, we found this game recently. <laughs> this will sound like a college story. This happened last, uh, like three months ago, I think, actually. <laughs> so, um, my buddy had a, a diaper party, which nobody knows what these are. It's like, he, he, uh, his girlfriend or fiance or whatever got pregnant, it's his first kid. So, all these guys show up and bring diapers. It's an excuse. Nope. Yeah. But uh, they had this game there called Can Jam, spelled K A N J A M. We'll link it down below. Why not? And, some frat bro must have made this dumbass game up, but it's so fun. All it is like these two five-gallon buckets, and uh, there's a slit on the side of it, maybe like three inches tall, and then the width of a frisbee plus a little bit longer. And the whole idea of the game is you go back and forth throwing a frisbee at it, and if you can miraculously get in the slot, you get ten points. If you land it right in through the hole at the top of the frisbee, you get um, – I don't know. I think it's three. And then if you throw it over and your partner on the other side slaps it in, they get one. So it's, you know, two guys against two guys or people against people. And um, man, we, we played this for like a whole week and it's the dumbest game, but it's so much fun. Oh, I would totally be about that game. Yeah. We, yeah. we play a lot. We play, play a lot of washers in college and we still play a fair amount yeah. of cornhole stuff like that. So yeah, the, the idea of like hitting in the in the slot though was like told it was just impossible. Like no one's ever done it. I've never seen anyone do it, you know, and there I am like nine beers in and I just drilled it. <laughs> I was like, what the hell, man? I don't know, I'm drunk. With yeah. with most of with most of those games, there's like a happy medium in there. Like you can't start to get nine deep. Like usually there's like 
the three or four, you start getting that buzz, take a little of it, the pressure. Yeah, yeah. You stop thinking, you start letting muscle yeah. memory take control. Yeah. yeah. Bowling <laughs> for me, like, you know, a nice three or four. I don't know how people play. I don't know how people go bowling sober. I don't, I don't know how to do it. I, I can't. Every time I go bowling sober, like when I'm with kids, I'm like, man, I'm a terrible bowler. Yeah, you know, no, I'm, no. I'm like trying to evaluate my like my arms doing the, why is the ball going over there? Like, <laughs> like I just need three beers and roll this yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. No, that's fun. Oh, man. So, what's next for Ryan Stevens? Do you focus more on dialed in, man, or is it Ryan Stevens that me that you spend more time on? Probably, well, we're trying to focus more on dialed in, man. We, I yeah. have just had such a busy year uh, yeah. at, the day, at the day job. Um, and then with kids in the evening, I've like, I've, I've tried a bunch of different things where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get up at 445 and write and that has not worked out great. And then, um, cause the kids are usually up close to six cause yeah. we get them to school around seven. So, um, and then a lot of evenings when I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a beer and I'm gonna start writing. I'm just like, you know what? I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed. <laughs> um, and they're not old enough where they can entertain themselves yet. You know, like yeah. I'm, I don't want to rush any stage at all because i'm loving every minute of it but i am kind of envious of these people that are like yeah my kids are six and eight and they go outside for three hours like, yeah we, we don't have that like yeah i'm not uh, there yet either so um it is a constant in fact that monday morning cup of coffee is like a nice reprieve from like the insanity of the weekend um yeah, so you know we haven't had a lot of time but i, I i'm trying to write more on dialed in then we really want to build that repository up um, I'm working on, for lack of better words at the time, um, a dialed in men book, um, which is just going to be a curation of pretty much all of the best things I've read in the last three to five years. Okay. I have, I have like a commonplace binder, if you will, yeah. um, of the best articles and things that I've read on careers, relationship, wealth, and wellness. You and actually I, print them out and put them into a, a physical put them into a physical binder. And then how old are you? <laughs> 34, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah thir just turned 35, middle of August. 35. Uh, and so awesome. I, you know, as it, as it, if it gets too full, then something has to come out of there. Um, so if something's good enough to go in there, it replaces something that comes out. So I'm basically good curating point. some of the best excerpts of that. And that's another thing I can give my son, by the way, that's like, yeah, these are not my words. They're other people's, but these are the best resources I've found on these topics. I like that. Um, and so I'm exerting some of the best things of those and then kind of putting that fabric around it, if you will, with my own words and writings and lessons into a book. So I'm working on that too. Um, I had a few too many beers last winter and tried to, and pre and pre-sold that and had a bunch of people buy it and it's like 50 pages deep. And so I just gave everybody their money back a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was like, I don't want to hold your money anymore. I want to get this yeah. thing further down the road. And then you can pre-order it for that same price if you want to, but I'm not holding your money. I felt awful holding their money that long. Uh, Cause I didn't, I didn't know this year was going to be so busy, but working on that. And then just trying to think about, you know, these other things that um, I think about a lot and teaching them to other people. You know, I, one of the things I got into with somebody the other day is, if, if something has negative first order consequences, but positive second and third order consequences, it's probably something you should be doing. Lifting weights hurts. Yeah. That's a negative first, but it's really great for you, right? Like saving money sucks sometimes, but it's ideal. Having a difficult conversation is not fun, 
but the amount of difficult conversations you have ultimately leads to success and getting the things you want, et cetera. So Absolutely. just kind of coming up with all of these mental models and things that I've been thinking about. And instead of having them in all these disparate places all over the internet and in my brain, I'm trying to put them into a handful of places where they're more accessible. And then yeah, yeah, once they're there, disseminate them with people that, you know, want them and can benefit from that. This will be a, a physical paperback book. That's the intent. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I'd be interested in that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the, um, holding people's money hostage. You can use, um, Gumroad, but when, uh, when you pre-order a book on Gumroad, they don't take the money until it ships or like the day before or something like that. So another option for you. Yes. And I do my wife and after our, our, our six rules of marriage went viral, we did sell a little ebook on Gumroad. Yeah. And so, but that happened in March right. and I pre-sold this. So I was like on PayPal and there was like international transaction fees and all this stuff that I was <laughs> trying to navigate. Yeah. I was like, this is a terrible idea. Um, and with, with our other book, I did, a, you know, I did a, if you're going to pre-order, it's less, here you go. And then I was like, oh, the money. And then I was like, oh, you get it all at once when you go live. So yes, I, I love Gumroad and Sahil, I hope I'm pronouncing it correct, does a really great job with, with that. Sahil, Sahil Levine or something like that. Yeah. Or what? I try, I'm usually good at pronouncing people's names, but recalling it, I'm not great at. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. He's really down to earth and he's created a really neat product. And, uh, for those of you that don't sell stuff on Gumroad, the reason why we like it so much is because a lot of the money goes to creators. It's amazing how much money you can get from selling books on Gumroad versus like Amazon. Um, I think Amazon, you keep like 40%, maybe, maybe less than that. Whereas Gumroad, it's, it's, it's like almost all of it. It's like 90, 95%. I don't even know what it is. It's, it's just high. Yeah, it's in that respect, it's great. It's also really easy to get up and running. So there's something to be said for that. I know it has its limitations. Like I'm sure at some point, you know, certain content creators will level up out of that unless they can get some of the features closer to something like, you know, ClickFunnels, for example. But yeah, um, it's been a great resource for me. You know, I, again, it goes back to what do you want to accomplish? If you want to keep most of the money, it's hard to beat Gumroad. If you just want, you know, credibility so you can get on the speaking circuit, then maybe Amazon's better. Amazon, so, yeah. Right. Yeah, my Reclaim Your Manhood book that I sell on Amazon for five bucks for the ebook, 10 bucks for the paper pack, it's, it sells great. I sell copies of it all the time, but it doesn't make anywhere near as much money as the Gumroad stuff does because, because of the different um, ratios. But, you know, I've had people ask me, like, why don't you put that on Gumroad? And I'm like, uh, I will, but it feels, feels more professional or something on Amazon. I don't know. Gumroad is just not like established yet in the mainstream. I think that's my issue with it. I, I don't think I'm unique in saying that. No, I, I think that's true. I think the people that know who Gumroad are are the people that use it primarily. And yeah. then, you know, people that care enough about what those content creators are saying that they purchase their stuff. But the average Joe Schmo is not going to find your work via Gumroad. Right, uh, right. Whereas they, they might, if they're searching, you know, manhood or masculinity, et cetera, yeah. on Amazon or, you know, buying another book on Amazon and then getting, you know, that product recommendation as a result. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that part's kind of neat. Um, it's, it's funny how, I don't want to say easy. It's funny how accessible it's become to write a book now, you know, for so long I wanted to write and I thought, Maybe someday when I'm retired, I'll sit down in my, you know, little condo on the beach when I'm like 60 or 70 and I'll 
finally start writing. And it's like, that's just start now to start throwing a few words out. And um, I would, I wouldn't say if you've never written before to start with the book, I would say start with a blog or even just start with Twitter, but you know, just getting used to writing and, and writing in a blog and then working your way up to it. Just, it makes it much more accessible. It's, it's not as complicated as it used to be. No, it's, it, it's easy and it's simultaneously very, very hard. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's also going to make the marketplace a lot more crowded because it's more accessible and more people can do it. But at the end yeah. of the day, there's, there's still, you know, good books and bad books. Um, yeah. And those can be published in a number of different ways. There's some, been some great self-published books. Um, but I, you know, give me a handful. I would rather read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius three times a year than, you know, three. That's the other thing with books that cracks me up is um, people worried about their book count. Like, oh, I read 100 books yeah. this year. <laughs> That's cool. What'd you learn? What, you know, I would rather read one great book 10 times than 10 crappy books. I've got it right so, here. I, I keep it next to my computer. So I read um, like a page of it every day. It, it's pound for pound, probably my favorite. It is my favorite book, pound for pound. Um, a it's book a, called Lessons for History is also very, very good and very insightful. And it's only barely over 100 pages. I've read that. Yeah, that's a great book. If you like the meditations, you like um, Lessons from History. We'll link those. It's it's Will and Ariel Durant, and they yes. basically spent their whole life studying history, um, writing all these books. They're Pulitzer Prize winners, and then they distilled, like, these are the main lessons into one 100-page book. Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing resource. It's a really cool book. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday is another one I really like. He, uh, he takes quotes from, I wish I had this idea. He takes quotes from Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and like other uh, Stoic philosophers from the Greek era. And then he kind of expands on the idea of an ethos. So it's like one for every day of the year. So the idea is you just read one page. And I'm currently like somewhere in June. So I got some catching up to do. <laughs> I, I think Ryan's fascinating. I've read yeah. virtually everything he's written. Guy's super, super sharp. Um, cracks me up because now he just lives on a farm in Bastrop, Texas. Like <laughs> wife always wanted to live on a farm. He lives on a farm. Like his Instagram is either him swimming, running, or like farming. And yet he's pumping out like a book a year. I'm really, his new one's called stillness is, is key. And I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. I, I loved conspiracy by him with the, the whole Gawker story with Hulk Hogan. Oh man. Yes. And Peter Thiel. It's wild. Yeah. It's, I didn't think I cared about it because I, I wasn't really a wrestling fan. I don't really go for like the, the sex stories. Um, I don't like anything tabloid-esque. So it took me some convincing before I decided to read that book. But man, it's, it's one of the most important books to read, I would say, right now. And I think it's hugely underrated. And he can he really, write he's a great um, writer. Yeah, he, he's really good at it. At research, but also finding ways to talk about things that are affecting us in society. Yeah, that's that's what fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think this new one is actually now he's positioning it as um, like the whatever the threequel. I don't think that's what you call it, but to uh, obstacle is the way, yeah. ego is the enemy, and now stillness is the key. I've heard that called a threequel before. <laughs> so, but if you like. Um, the Gawker story and you haven't read Bad Blood by John Carriow about Theranos, that's one I couldn't put down. 
I have not. Huh. Yeah, I'll check that one out for sure. Yeah, I like what you said there. It's um it's not about book count, it's about what you learn from it. And uh it's it's taken me a while to figure that out. I've been reading books with a highlighter, not every book, but uh certain books, especially stuff like the meditations, where I'll read a certain line that I like and then I'll highlight it. I've been doing that with uh, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, which that fucking book. It's it's written exactly the way he talks, which drives me nuts because he's so out there. We, he can't keep a cohesive thought together, you know. We... <laughs> he goes down lots of different paths, for sure. It's hilarious. But there's some gems in there, and if you can, like, focus enough to pay attention while he's dancing around the issue, there's some, like, really great lines in it. Um, but I, I have a hard time reading that book, honestly. It's just such a strange thing to explain i don't know how to explain i i don't enjoy the process of reading the book but i'm loving what i'm reading in it if that makes right sense. yeah no so uh, on on ryan stevens.me i have a site i mean i have book reviews and way back in the day they might have been like a 90 second youtube clip yeah um whereas now what i do is i go through and i highlight when i'm reading the book then i extract those highlights into a word doc and then i go through that word doc and say what are the most impactful things that hold up two weeks later, a like month that. later. And then I put those into a blog post. And so basically like if you wanted to check out, for example, like I did it with Cal Newport's deep work. One of, I mean, just absolutely hugely impactful book for me. Um, but I think it's called like 90 um, things I learned from Cal Newport's deep work. It was like 90 things. Like you don't have to read wow. the book. I just did it for you. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah here's a whole cliff notes section on my blog of like these really impactful books. And so, but I do that cause I would do that anyway, you know, yeah. like now I, instead of having to read the whole book again, I can go back and say, these were the things that were most impactful to me that I want to remember. And if it helps somebody else, great. Yeah. And that's, that's why I've been doing that too. Um, and I speak from experience, those listicles tend to be pretty popular. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny. People make fun of Buzzfeed all the time. It's like, I don't, think it's buzzfeed's fault that they exist you guys are clicking on it way too much i know like i can go on my website and see what articles are the most read and it's not necessarily the best ones or the most nuanced ones or the deepest ones it's whatever's got short little lines with numbers next to them <laughs> there's sort of, there's certainly a formula to it and it's always interesting and you know i have trouble navigating all this it, and even on twitter it's like do you yeah. do you write to the not the lowest common denominator, but to the average Joe, or do you tackle some of these more nuanced, heady things? Yeah. Um, and, and the answer is, I guess that you can do both, but there are certainly things that get more engagement, and yeah. it is yeah. it is the platitudes, if you will, versus yeah. like these really heavier, more nuanced things that maybe fifteen percent of your audience really wants to chew on or is capable of chewing on. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Um, it took me a long time to figure that out. There's, I talk about this in one of my eBooks. Um, there's a tool called Fres, F-R-E-S, that you can use in Microsoft Word, and I, I it's called it the Flesh Reading Something System. Anyway, the ease the ease takes, of tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it takes you the what grade you, level basically. Exactly, and it takes what you've written and it gives you a score. And that score basically translates to how readable your um, blog post, book, whatever is. And 
according to like copywriters, people that are selling, trying to reach the masses, you're supposed to write at an eighth grade level or lower. So if you're writing at a, at a high school level or higher, you're, you're missing your target audience, which is crazy to me that that's the way it is. Um, and I've got a bad habit of using big words occasionally. And I know that probably throws some people and makes me sound um, obnoxious or whatever. Ironically, I couldn't think of a big word there. But <laughs> Pretentious. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. I don't even know that one. But now I understand it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, it drives me nuts in the, on the one hand that I want people to be intelligent and it bums me out that you're supposed to dumb yourself down to reach more people. On the other hand, I, I do want to reach more people and I, and not because I want to sell more books. It's just, you, you want to be able to, you don't want there to be a barrier to somebody bettering themselves just because they didn't know some stupid word in a book. You know, and the English language is funny. It's, it's very redundant. <laughs> you can, you can go and read the economist or anything written out of San Francisco and, these people sound smart, but is, I don't know if there's anything, you know, special about using bigger words than the average person uses. Yeah, no, I don't, you know, I, I probably do. I'm probably guilty of it as well, but I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes those words just are better. <laughs> right. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> they, they, they encapsulate what I'm trying to say better than yeah. some generic word. Yeah. I, counterintuitive, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I get that. I use the same thing, but yeah, but yeah, it's, there's a, there's a battle and um, Twitter's funny like that. I, I constantly have this internal dialogue going with whether I'm saying what I really want to say, or if I'm allowing the whole social media algorithm system and constant feedback mm -hmm. to be conditioning me. And I, I know at times I'm giving into it. Um, I think everyone does. Yeah. And the more you do it too, the more you, it, it's interesting because a, a lot of times with something I write, I'm like, this is good. I think people will like this and it'll just bomb. And yeah. then I will write something that I'm like, this was just, you know, off the cuff and it'll do really well. Whereas now with Twitter, I'm starting to get to where like, this one's going to do well and it does. Yeah. And this one's not going to resonate and it doesn't. Yeah. So then I'm definitely guilty of trying to emulate more of the, instead of just like, these are the things I want to say. It's like, these are the things that will resonate with this group of people. And I, right. you know, again, I guess it's a balance of both because I want to do both, but you can definitely get in the trap of like, I know this is going to get a lot of likes from my followers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, once you kind of figure out the system, it's easy to do. Uh, there's, there's formulas that tend to be more popular than others. And, once you start thinking about it and you start looking at your timeline, you can start seeing it. And there's, there's definitely like templates that I don't necessarily exist, but there's, there's like a formula in people's heads that's being used a lot that works better than others. And, and a handful of things that are like, this is going to stir up the right group of people yeah. and trigger people. And, yeah. you know, which is then I'm like, now I'm becoming like the journalist that I loathe. So I try to avoid that stuff. <laughs> That's my defense of BuzzFeed. I, I completely understand where they're coming from. I, I just, if my website becomes nothing but listicles, though, I'm going to be upset with myself. <laughs> but it's taught me a lot about why the media is the way it is. And it, for a long time, I thought it was all the media's fault. And now I understand it's not. It's the reader's 
<laughs> or the lack thereof, which is the real issue. Right. Well, it, it's incentives, right? The, right. The, it goes back to, I think Charlie Munger talks about this all the time, but the incentives matter and the way in which we are incentivized matter. And yeah, uh, whether that's, you know, sales goals or anything else. It's, it's everything. Look at like Instagram, you know, it used to be like just pictures of food and pretty scenery and sunset. Then, you know, a girl would like lean over a little too much one of her pictures. Oh, that got more likes. And it just kind of, you know, like snowballed. And now like, it's, it's obvious. We know how to get the most likes. Go look at like most uh, hashtags and see what's got the most likes. It's a lot of thirsty dudes out there that just <laughs> for some reason want censored half porn i don't understand it sure it's weird something about <laughs> looking at what they can't fully look at i don't know we need a psychologist on here to talk about that well jeremy fox <laughs> talk about why guys would look at half that's so funny I'm, I'm talking to jeremy tomorrow awesome yeah ask him about that <laughs> he's a good dude i could talk to that dude forever he's just we can dive into that yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Dive into the psychology of that. So I don't know. I've also noticed that people are really interested in the psychologist. So his podcast must be doing well, I'm, I'm guessing. The Fox Den, by the way, we'll name drop that one. I'm looking forward to it. I hope I, I hope he can teach me something. I'm actually going through a, a coaching class right now and I I find it very interesting because it's a lot like psychology. Like, I feel like I'm talking to a psychologist. They just ask you all these questions. I'm like, stop asking me questions. Like, yeah, they're like teasing it out. I'm like, well, what do you think about, what do you think about it, dude? I'm tired of telling you what I think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought psychology was really dumb when I was in college. And maybe that was because everybody that took the class told me they had to read like five books in a semester. I'm like, that's not going to be my future. But the older I get, the more I'm sort of appreciated. And it's in everything. It's in, it's in coaching. It's in talking to kids. It's in uh, salesmanship is basically psychology. It's in all sorts of aspects of your life. You know, these, these guys that are obsessed with, um, you know, pickup artistry and all that stuff. Psychology. It's everywhere. It's incredibly useful. Yeah, I think behavior change, social psychology. Um... I bought a neuroscience textbook the other day that I wanted to start going through. Like all that stuff is fascinating. I mean, I was maybe six hours short of having a psychology minor, which would have been a second minor, but it's just because wow. to be honest with you, the classes were kind of easy and somewhat yeah. interesting. Um, I understand that. I almost but, did the same thing with astronomy. I was uh, one class away and a, and a thesis paper, which was what really stopped me. And I would have had an astronomy minor. Interesting. I'm fairly certain that my tiny private college did not have that as any, not one class, I don't think. I, I, had, I had no idea I was even close to doing it either. That's funny. My, yeah. Uh, academic advisor just told me, she goes, your class short for your astronomy minor. I'm like, what, what astronomy minor? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, well, and then I, you know, there was a time in my life when I got really into cognitive behavioral therapy too. And I just think that's like an amazing tool um, yeah. that people can use to make themselves happier versus, uh, you know, I want to be sensitive here. I, I know certain medications work for certain people. Right. Um, I just don't know that that's all. I, I think we do that too much. And I think there's other things that we can do first. I think, I think it's healthy becoming- lifestyle in general, but also I think yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy um, has been proven to work. Uh, I think it's and- become like the default action because it seems simpler, but it's not necessarily effective. So I, I like that idea that you're looking into the, well, you were talking about this earlier. You want the, uh, what do you say? It's, it's hard at stage one, but easier at stage two. And right. I think that's 
the difference between taking the pill versus pursuing a deeper, um, you know, therapy. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, beyond that, and again, once you are clinically depressed, it is much harder to do the things that would benefit you and not make you depressed. Right. Um, but it's just like, we sit on our ass for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, maybe more. Cause you do it for eight hours at work and then you go home and do it in front of your television and Netflix. Yeah. Like, go for a walk, get some sunlight, pick up something heavy, eat good food, stop boozing all that. Like yeah. I'm preaching to the choir, but this is a formula that works. Yeah, it does. Um, and most you know, people are ignoring it or not disciplined enough to stick with it, which I think is a real issue. Well, and it, well, and it's an environmental thing too. Like it's, this stuff is pervasive. It's all around us. Mm-hmm. We used to have jobs where we didn't sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day. Like, right. Processed food wasn't as available as it is now, but at the same time, like, it's obvious that whatever we're doing is not working when you're talking about 75 to 80% of people are overweight and obese, but like, and I'm insensitive for saying that's insane. Yeah, uh, it is though. But it is. Yeah. Yeah. My, I don't have a problem with with anyone living the life they want to live, whatever. That's fine. If you're happy that way, but I don't think people are happy that way. I think they would rather drop the excess weight. And even if they say they are, I don't think, there's exceptions. There's some very extreme exceptions in some cases. Um, but for the most part, people are healthier and are happier when they're healthier. You know, they, they, it's just gotten so much easier to put on the weight. There's so many more things now, like you just said. Well, again, going back to incentives, one of the things that's fascinating to me and maybe one, something that I'll never understand, but why I'm reading things about behavioral change and social psychology and neuroscience is just this, victimhood culture that is so prevalent now and we're rewarded for like like no we shouldn't be quiet and sit in shame because we're depressed but should we really like be like advocating about our depression and our obesity like oh i'm empowered by my depression like are you like again I, i know we're getting into some sensitive topics here but i'm just like I found it's best to do two hours into a podcast, not 10 minutes into it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I just like, I'm frustrated by this. Like, no, let's nobody take personal responsibility for anything in our life. It's, it's, I hate it. (laughs) I I tell my kid all the time, we don't say can't like, that's one of the only rules in my house. You don't get to say can't. You can say, can you please help me? Or you can keep trying, but we're not going to say can't. I like that. One of my issues with the whole victimhood thing is the way they're framing the question. So people always say like, I'm fat or I have anxiety or I'm depressed right now. That's what they're missing. It's like, you're fat right now. I've been fat. I weren't, I wasn't ever huge, but I was somewhere around 30 pounds heavier a little over a year ago, you know, and you don't have to be fat. You don't identify as it. You just, are fat right now or you have fat but it's not who you are you can change right. that very easily and well, how much, how much better do you feel now oh my god it's it's incredible how many benefits there are just dropping like 20 pounds even um i sleep better i feel more energetic i look younger like significantly it's weird um people think you're more attractive people want to talk to you more people think you're more successful they think you're smarter they think you're uh, they just think that you've got a better thing going on. It's it's hilarious. I I think that there's probably a direct correlation between losing weight and making more money. 
I'll bet that for whatever reason, people just like being around attractive, athletic, seemingly happy people. It's, you know, it's not a secret. So that's something I also learned from Ramit is he, he talks about people's perception is that there are people that are top performers in one aspect of their lives usually have other aspects of their lives that are suffering. And he's like, you know, you can find those exceptions to the rule where there's like an actor or successful businessman that's like makes a lot of money, but they can't keep a marriage and they're alcoholics, et cetera, et cetera. But that's actually the exception to the rule. The norm is that, you know what, that CEO actually does have a good family life. Maybe he works a little much, but he also wakes up at 515 and works. He's physically fit. He eats healthy. And then they're like, oh, just because he made money. Like, come on. Like, what is the endless amount of excuses? Like, just take some responsibility. Yeah. Fix one thing today. To your point, replace one bad habit. Do that for three months. Then stack something else. Yeah, I like that stacking idea. That's Build your skill stack. Yeah. yeah. One thing at a time, too. Like, so many guys are like, oh, I'm going to completely change my life. This, especially New Year's. You know, I'm going to fix everything. Like, well, maybe just stop drinking so much beer on the weekends and we'll see how that goes. And then after that, let's, let's see what we can do after that. You know? Well, and I mean, you've gone through this journey, but like yeah. too, it's like, you just got to push past that point where you're like working your ass off and not seeing any change. Cause when you do see change or when that first person says like, Hey, you're looking a little trimmer yeah. or, you know, that's it. Then you're like on the path. Mm-hmm. Cause then that's the, that's the drug, right? So addictive. Like, can I have another hit of that? Like, <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that's what it is. You just got to push past that first. And again, like do it one at a time, like w- whether it's weight loss or whether it's, you know, I want to write three things that I'm grateful for in my gratitude journal every night. Yeah. Or, you know, I want to, I want to write people try to like, Oh, I'm going to write a thousand words a day to write this book. No, write 50. Yeah. Write 50 a day because you're probably going to write more than 50, but that's how you don't break the chain. When you try to do a thousand, you're going to get discouraged and you're going to shut it down. It's too much. I don't want to write a thousand. I just want to write 50 words, but then you start writing and then it flows and you have to finish that thought. Now it's 75 and then it's like, well, what if I said this too? And then it's a hundred. It just builds. It's right. like, it's everything. I, I, that's how I run. I don't, I don't go outside to go run for 11 miles like I did last weekend. I went out to go run a mile. And after that, I want to go run another half mile. We'll see how that goes. You just keep building it up. Yeah. That's really powerful in those long runs too. Because to to your point, when you get to those, then it's like, I'm going to make it to that tree. (laughs) I'm going to make it to that car. And You know, some of the tricks when I used to run longer, my trick was like, I would just run that far away from my house so that I at least, I had to get back home somehow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's, that's like if you do this loop close to your home, you're like you can just duck back and go in your house. Like, no, if I'm running 13, I'm going to run 6.5 miles away. I had so really, that I have to figure out how to get home. I had a really intense conversation with myself the other day. And it was, it was a place where I'd never ran before too, which I think made it tougher, but I got to a part where I was about five miles in and I'm like, every single step I take is one more step. I'm going to have to take back. I'm like, I'm just making this harder with every single step. And like, I started getting into that like anxiety mindset where I'm like, why am I doing this? This is too much. I, I can't run this far. And I, I got stuck in like, this weird logic loop where I just mindlessly. And then you use cognitive this. behavioral therapy and got out of it and fixed it perfect. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's the thing. Like there's that'll, a lot of people. That was my ride. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty river over there. I should focus right. on 
Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, and that's the other thing too, is a lot of people talk about health and wellness and some of these guys that are really, really fit are like, Hey, you don't need to be running, especially long distances. Um, you know, just walk, run sprints, lift your heavy weights. Sure. And I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. Especially if your goal is like to be ripped and shredded and et cetera, et cetera. But like, for me, the reason why I run is not those reasons. It's because if I defeat that little man in my head on that run, I'm going to start defeating that little man in my head more often, you know, 24 seven. So in other aspects of life, that's why I do it too. And it's, it's relaxing. It lets me kind of think and have these interesting thoughts come up. There's a lot of times I'm running and I'm writing down a thought like on my notepad on my phone <laughs> while I'm running, you know? So yeah, I never take my phone, and I totally should because I always have the best thoughts when I'm, like, out on a run. <laughs> you're going to lose them if you don't. <laughs> I had to go plug in. Battery's about to die. I hear you. I, hear you. I thought you were just giving me a tour of the house. <laughs> um, the other thing that's really helped me, and I've probably mentioned this a couple of times, is uh, doing one thing that seemed impossible. So I did a couple of these over the last couple of years, but the big one for me – was climbing a rope like I was always like a bigger kid I was never like really out of shape I was an athlete but I'd never be able to climb a rope and it took a lot of work to it took more like education than anything I was I had a terrible I had a terrible technique when I first started but once I did that I was like oh that stuff that I can't do was just something I hadn't learned to do and like I can go out and do this later like I, I thought I couldn't write a book I'm like I can write a book I just gotta sit down and write a chapter and I could just have to do that again, you know, and it's just, you just got to find something that's impossible and crush it and just, it changes your mindset on everything. That's why. And I've, I have full disclosure. I did not do this. I tried it once and, and failed. Um, but that's why I like these guys that are doing the thousand pushups in one day or in 24 hours. <laughs> I got to try that. That's absurd. I've like there's no it. way that does. I, I, I made it to like six sixty or something, I think, and, and shut yeah. it down. I was like, I'm going to get like that whatever it is those people get when they go to CrossFit, like fill my arm, Rabda, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But like, uh, I'm like, that's one of those things. Like once you do that, like now what can you, you can do something else that's impossible. So addicting. I ran my first 5k and ran a couple more. I'm like, all right, these are getting boring. I should run a half marathon. So I ran one of those and now I've got an ultra marathon I'm running in January. You're wild, man. That's awesome. I I, I haven't gone past my wife's done a full but I haven't gone past a half. I just don't, I get, I, <laughs> I get, re- fair enough. I get really small and I don't like it. Like yeah. when I'm putting, when I'm putting in enough miles to run uh, even a half, I just get really small. And I'm like, and I don't know if that's because I don't have time to also lift as much weights as I would like while I'm doing that amount of training with two young kids. Um, but I just, I don't like getting that small. Yeah. I'm worried about myself conscious. Yeah. I get that. So I've, I needed to get smaller though, so I'm not too worried about it. But I may, I may get done with it. Like I don't know if this ultra things for me. That might be too. How much. far is your ultra? Uh, it's it's like barely an ultra. It's a 50k, so 31 gotcha. miles. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's gotcha. the limit of an ultra. Garrett Daly's gonna do it with me though. So awesome, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah so it'll be neat. So, yeah, be- I did. I I I love the I love the half. I think my favorite distance, somewhere between a 10k and a 10 miler. Because it's yeah. hard, it's hard, yeah. but you can still go pretty fast. Um, I pretty consistently will run a 10K to a 10-miler every weekend. Lately, I've been doing a little more. But, yeah, nice. that's that's the fun distance. It's enough to challenge you, but you're not, like, hurting the next day too much. 
Yeah, I, and I usually don't – I never, I don't think I hurt – I might have hurt after my first half, but aside from that, I haven't hurt after a half. But from mile 11 to mile 13, I have hurt. <laughs> See, I'm hoping to crush that. I don't, I don't know. Because, like, the first time I ran my 5K, I hurt the next day. And now it's like I can do that every day if I want to. It's no big deal. So, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> nice. I think you just got to go out there and challenge yourself and do these things that, you know, you, you don't think you can do. And it's, it keeps life interesting. It makes you feel good about yourself. Maybe it's a point to stop growing older. <laughs> I don't know. Well, for me, it's not, it's not, I don't care that I'm growing older. I like it, in fact, because yeah. I think as we grow older, there's less competition. Like, yeah. When you're, when you're younger, there's still these young bucks that can, like, beat you but like my dad is um 67 67 year old like east texas redneck and like right now i would put him up against anybody hauling a hay a hay field like a oh, he's hauling a field of hay yeah That's um awesome. in the heat of the day um just beast mode and i'm like that's how i want to be is like i want people to be like dude that guy's 40 and he's chasing around his kids and he's a beast still yeah, it's it's kind of stunning. Once you hit around thirty, like your friends that you grew up with start packing on some weight pretty quickly, and it's it's kind of sad to watch, actually. Yeah, and I guess and I'm just my friends are the exception to that rule, and just that they were all athletes, and most of them still are pretty fit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, go to an airport or a restaurant, right. or I mean, God, I, I don't ever go to buffets anymore. But go to the buffet for a it's, few minutes, man. It's nauseating. It's it's like Wally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't do it either. I used to spend a lot of time like a Buffalo Wild Wings or those kind of places, and I, I still like them once in a while. But I mean, I used to go there enough that like I'd walk in and they would like greet me by name, you know. But I, I just can't do that anymore. I can't eat that food. It makes me kind of sick too. Shoot, I'm about some of those Buffalo Wild Wings. That, I mean, that garlic parmesan's on point. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone makes fun of me, but I really like Hooters, and um, I can I can say this because I don't actually go there that often. I just buy the sauce at the store, mostly because there's not one in my town. Um, but I genuinely love their food, and I don't care what anybody says. I, I don't food. think I've been since I was in high school, to be honest with you. Oh man, those Cajun fries and their uh, their hot sauce, I love it. They <laughs> got better wings than Buffalo. It's a little bigger. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, man. Oh, that's been good. Um. Should we start wrapping this up or? Yeah, man, I think so. Kids will be home in a little bit. I'm going to pick up the house a little before everybody gets home. Sounds try, to, try to do a little bit of that invisible work that the women always have to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to, you know, let my woman do most of that work because I seem to screw it up half the time anyway. <laughs> Maybe. My, my thing is not that I, know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just like, you have to tell me so that I do it right. So, like, normally I will try to be the leader, but in this sense, like, I can't read your mind. So like, don't be mad at me if I do it wrong. Just tell me exactly what you want done and I'll try to help. <laughs> but we do, we do kind of stick to our domains. I'm like, yeah. under the roof, you got this like flower bed, yard, I'll take yeah. driveway. I'll take care of some of that stuff. That's kind of how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Anything like heavy lifting or something, you know, I, I tend to do, although she does some of that stuff too. I think she just gets bored. I think it's important to like, you know, I'm, I'm all about, it being semi my wife does more with the house and the kids yeah. but i think it can, it should be kind of equitable but um you know unless she doesn't work and you do like whatever your situation is but yeah um, if you both work i think you should try to keep it equitable but i think you should try to figure out um like what is the thing that you loathe doing 
And if right. they don't loathe doing it, can they, like, I hate washing dishes. I hate it. I'm <laughs> slow at it. Like I'm obsessed with them being like super clean. So I'll spend like seven minutes on a bowl and like, you know, like one yeah. meal later, like the water bill is $200. So I'm like, can you please just wash the dishes and I'll like, you know, do the laundry or, uh, you know, oh, vacuum or whatever, but she I'm not doing dishes. She stays at home. It's great. I just pay for stuff. I'm like, that's fine. I don't want to do Perfect. it. I'll, I'll still help out a little here. That not much. I'm, I'm not that helpful. <laughs> Fair enough. But I, I don't like make a mess either. Like if I'm eating and there's like junk lying around, I'll clean up my mess. I'll pick up things here and there. But sure. Yeah. No, it's it's been good, man. I'm glad we finally got to do this. You know, it's 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 tough. You and I are a lot busier than people may think. <laughs> we we act like we got two hours to spare all the time. These these things are tough to schedule. Yeah, no, I literally had to be on PTO today to make this work. So, but it was great. Got up, had coffee, read, went for my four mile run, and then awesome. ate some lunch and popped on a podcast. So, I appreciate you having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. That was great. And uh, hey, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And um, I'll make sure, let me know what we can link down below, but we'll get your websites on here and uh, we'll let people know where to find you. I think most people know where to find you. Ryan Stevens on uh, Twitter, ryanstevens.me doubtinmen.com i think that's about all of them right that's the main shops awesome awesome thanks for doing this i had a great time talking with you ryan that was excellent ryan i appreciate it that wraps up another exciting episode of the pats and mayonnaise podcast thank you everyone if you enjoyed this episode of the pats and mayonnaise podcast be sure to write us a review that way we can reach more men that are lost and need direction in their life And if you feel that you are lost and you need direction in your life or you simply are looking for brotherhood, a sense of belonging, a place where you can be a man, a traditional man, and be around other men who are motivated and working to build something themselves, check out patreon.com slash pathmanonist to gain access to the private Discord server where you can connect with other highly motivated individuals